Hey everyone, this is Chris Vaught, and I'd like to welcome you all to the Pursuit Podcast, where our passion is to inspire and equip you with biblical truths as you pursue after the heart of God. What has the grace of God unveiled for us, and how will that impact our lives? How will it impact your relationship with God? That's our topic today on episode four of The Pursuit. Together today, we're in Ephesians chapter three, and I'm finishing a series we're entitled Unveil. And uh, for the last three weeks before today, we talked about this amazing grace of God. How many are so thankful for the grace of God that it just makes you take five seconds right up front and give him a praise? Because <clears throat> you're just so amazed, right? You're just so touched by God's grace that God would love you. He would send his only begotten son. Jesus died for you on the cross, was buried, came up out of the grave, and now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. He did all this for you. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he justifies you by your faith in him. Jesus Christ did all this for you. You didn't do it for yourself. He did this for you. High five two people and tell them that makes you pretty special in God's eyes. God did this for you. It is his grace, and this is the gospel that we preach, that Jesus Christ died in our place, rose from the dead, and now when we put our trust in him and we receive him as our Savior, God redeems us. God breaks through and transforms our lives by his grace, and he gets all the glory. Amen? And that's got to happen to you personally. The first week of this series, I talked about how God wants to unveil his grace in you. It's got to be personal for you. You're not a Christian because you go to church. You're not a Christian because you were baptized. You're not a Christian because you're a part of a, a group. You're, you can only become a Christian, a true, authentic follower of Jesus when you personally realize you are a sinner in need of salvation and that God's grace is the only hope you have. Jesus died for you, rose for you, and gives you eternal life. You're not saved because your parents are saved. You're not saved because your kids are saved. You can only be a Christian if you yourself follow Jesus Christ. It is a personal decision to receive the Lordship of Christ. Then we talked the next week about how when God's grace is unveiled to you personally, God places us together in a group. And no matter who you are, uh, no matter what race you are, no matter your ethnic uh, background, no matter your social economic level, no matter if you're here in this campus or you're watching from one of the 12 countries around the world who watch us every week online, no matter where you are at, if you put your faith in Christ Jesus as your Savior, we become one family. And so we're family. So now I told you to high five a couple of people a moment ago. I'm going to ask you to turn back to those same people, high five them one more time, and say, high family. Because, because not only are you special and not only are you chosen, but you are part of the family now. You're in the family of God if you are a true follower of Jesus. Last week, we talked about what God wants to unveil through us to the world, and that is God takes this mosaic of individuals who've received God's grace, puts us together, makes us a family, which is crazy to most of the world already, and that we can be uh, all united in one family from all our different backgrounds, all individual voices, preaching one sermon to the world, to the world. We tell them there's a God of breakthroughs who can meet them wherever they are and offer them eternal life 
and forgive all their sin and take away their shame and their past by his grace and give you eternal life. And that's the message we preach, the God of grace. Today, I want us to think about this, and if we get a hold of this, it's going to transform us as a body and, and as individuals in our worship of the Lord, and that is God wants to, what God wants to unveil in us. Now, we've talked about who he, what he's done for us individually and what he's done for us collectively and, and how he wants to use us collectively, but now listen to me. If we collectively can grab a hold of what our opportunity is, what the grace of God has afforded for us. It'll transform the way we pray as a church. It'll transform the way we worship as a church. It'll transform the way we serve as a church. It'll transform the way we go out and invite people as a church because of what God has done in us. And today we're going to take this one verse and really break it down, bring some other verses in. There's going to be moments today. I'm just going to be honest with you. There's going to be moments. It's going to be a little deep. Shout out, stay with you. And, and, and we'll get into that because you've got to get there to see what this awesome, awesome opportunity God has afforded to us by grace. So watch this with me. Look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12. Let's read it out loud. All together, ready, go. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now, I'm going to take the rest of my morning and barely scratch the surface of the depth of what that one sentence says, man. I'm telling you, this is awesome. Take your pen. Let's go to back to it. Underline this, in him. Somebody shout, in Christ. In Christ. But wait a minute. He doesn't just say, in Christ, we have access to the Father. No, no, no. Paul put this in here on purpose. In him and circle this through faith in him. It's not just that we're in Christ. Watch this, watch this. It's through faith in Christ that now we may, underline this, approach God. How? How can we approach God if we're in Christ and going through Christ? We can approach God, circle these two incredible blessings. Here they are. What has God afforded to us through grace? He's afforded to us through grace that we can approach God with freedom and confidence. And that's what I want to talk to you about here today. So number one on your outline, write this down. What does the grace of God afford us? You and I in Christ have the opportunity to approach God. Now, I want to let that sink in for a moment. You and I can approach God. And I know some of you are like, yes, I come to church every Sunday, and God's here. And I don't see him, but he's here, and, and God's presence. No, 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 no. Let, let it sink in a little bit. What has Jesus Christ afforded for us to be able to do this morning? Oh, I come to church and gave an hour and 15 minutes, and it went an hour and 20, so it went a little long. Oh, I gave God an extra five. And no, 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 catch it. Think, think about it, think about it. What has God afforded us to do? God, through Jesus Christ, has afforded for you and I access to come into the very presence of the God who spoke and breathed, and everything in creation came into existence. He said, let it be, it was there. We get to come into the presence of the one who took a ball of mud and, and like a top, I, I think God kind of did it this way, probably said, hey, angels, watch this, and, and he took that little ball of mud, and he just started spinning it, and it started spinning, and, and then he, put, he got this little bright light of a sun and brought it over, and he, this thing's spinning around, and he probably went, Whew. 
And all of a sudden, it, it started spinning around on this perfect axis and this perfect rotation. Does anybody know what I'm talking about yet? I'm talking about the earth, right? And God just kind of put it all into motion, and now we rotate around the sun, 365 days on a rotation, 24-hour rotation in a circle, perfect axis for life to exist. And God just kind of like, I did that. And I'm telling you, the God who holds the universe in the palm of his hands, you and I, because of Jesus, we have access into his throne room. We can come into God's presence. And I don't want you to ever get over that. We are here today worshiping a God that gives you free access through Jesus Christ, his son. Is this available to anyone? Can anyone come into his presence? Listen to me carefully, because it is a trick question. It is available to anyone. Will everyone have the right to come into his presence? No. Because look at the verse. It's in him, but then Paul makes it very clear, through faith in him. Now listen, Jesus has paid for this opportunity for us to come into the presence of God. He's paid it for everyone, but not everyone will receive it and be able to come into it. That's why it's called the gospel of grace. And it's the good news we've got to share with the world because it's not just simply Jesus did this. It is applied to those who put their faith in him. And everyone has a measure of faith. Do you know the Bible says everyone's been given a measure of faith? Everybody believes something. Even the atheists have to act out faith to believe they're an atheist. They have to put their faith in something they can't see to believe something isn't there. Did y'all get that? Because I can't say that twice, right? Because that was just really cool. You, you get this, right? Everyone believes something. And it's an act of faith. And the Bible says God is the one who gives us a measure of faith. And so if I was the devil, listen to this, if I was the devil, what would I do with this gift of faith that God has given? And God has given everybody faith to put their trust, and God put it there so we'd have a God-shaped hole in our hearts so we'd follow after God, right? And then God sent his son for us to follow him. If I was the devil, what would I do with that? I would mix everything up about faith. And I would give them more, op more options, and I would convince the world that it's faith in faith. I, I, I'm going to heaven if I just am a person of good faith, if I have faith in faith, right? If I just believe in something. I've heard people literally say, it doesn't matter what God you worship, it's just that you worship something with the sincerity of your heart that you believe in something. I need to tell you, it's not believing just in something. God gave you the ability to believe, but God is very intent on you knowing there is one way to the Father, and you can have access into the presence of God, but it's only through one way. And, by, and the Bible says it right here. Notice what he says. In him and through faith in him. Who are we talking about? In Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we have access or we can approach God with freedom and confidence. If I was the devil, I would say, oh, you can just any old thing you want to believe in as long as you believe it with all your heart. And that's, that's where we're at in the world. And that's why the world has a really hard time when someone preaches a sermon like this and says, no, 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 no. The reason that, that we have an opportunity to come before God is not because any old way of religion. It's because of what Jesus has done. And you get the name of Jesus out there. It's through Jesus Christ that we have the opportunity of salvation and to approach God. And if you're thankful someone somewhere in your life told you about Jesus Christ, you could interrupt my sermon for about three seconds and let God know you're really grateful that somewhere down your pathway, someone told you 
about Jesus Christ. Write this down. It's faith in Christ that gives us access to God. It's faith in Christ. This is why as a church we can never stop sharing the gospel of grace with people. Why it's so important is we're going into a week of evangelism and why we need to share the gospel with many people and why it needs to be a lifestyle for us. It's because faith in Christ, not faith in faith, faith in Christ gives us access to the presence of God. It's what Jesus has done for us because God is the master architect of grace. God is the master architect of grace. I want you to look on your outline there at a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 18. Read it out loud with me. Ready, go. For it is by what? Grace that you have been saved through. Now watch this. It's not just grace. It's grace through faith in Jesus. It's not grace through faith in anybody else. Not faith in you, not faith in some deity, not faith in faith in some philosopher. It is grace given through faith in Jesus Christ that this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, for through him we have access to the Father. Through Jesus we have access to who? God the Father. Now watch this. This is so cool. Look at Galatians 2.16. Know that a person is not justified by their works, not justified by the works of the law. How many is thankful it's not by the works of the law? Man, I mean, we can't even remember the 613 commandments that the Pharisees told the people they had to live by, right? We have a hard time quoting 10, the original 10, right? Come on, somebody. We're not justified by the works of the law. It's not up to you. It's not about how perfect you are. We are justified, read it, by faith in Jesus Christ. And here's, I want us to take just a moment and try to get a a general understanding of what Jesus did for us. And to do that, we're going to go back to the Old Testament for a moment. I'm going to throw you some pictures on the screen. We're going to dive deep for just a moment. Shall I give you a minute? Well, may, may, might want to give me like seven. All right, so uh, give me about seven minutes, and we're going to dive deep into two passages out of the book of Hebrews. And what, it, what I want you to see is what Jesus did for you when he went to the cross, died, and rose from the grave, and how he has purchased forever your opportunity that you can approach the presence of God. So now, thousands of years ago, about 3,000 years ago, God spoke to a king of Israel named Solomon and told him to build a temple. And here's a cool thing. God didn't just say build a temple. God gave him the architectural design. God is the master architect. And God gave him the design. How many things are interesting that God would give the layout for what he was to build? Well, the reason being is because what he was going to build on earth was a copy of what God already had in heaven. And everything about this temple speaks about Jesus. And I want to show it to you. Here's what a, a rendering of probably what the Old Testament temple looked like. And uh, you see it's, it's actually a whole campus. And it's this huge outer courtyard. And you see the, the porches with the roof uh, around the edges, that's where Jesus would have overthrown the tables because that's where they were buying and selling the sacrificial animals to come into the temple. Uh, you come in through the gates. You see this inner courtyard here. This, that's, that's called the outer courtyard, by the way, the outside area and the fence in. Then the inner courtyard, and that would have been where the court of women, that's where the women would have gathered together. And, and then you go on through 
uh, the gate and you go into the court of the Israelites and, and then you go on into the next level. You're going into the inner court system here now. And, and, and behind that middle gate there in the middle, uh, you would have had the brazen altar. That's where they would have done the animal sacrifices. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. You would have had to went through the animal sacrifices before you went to the next level. The blood had to be applied, right? The atonement of blood for your sin. The next step was a water basin where they would have washed. It was a basin of cleansing. I think this is so cool. This is why next Sunday I'm going to be preaching the gospel of grace and offering people salvation through the blood of Christ. And the week after that, we're going to get them wet in baptism. Because that's the design laid out by God in the temple. And every element of this temple points to Jesus Christ. By the way, how many of you would like to, for me to sometime do a series on the elements of the temple and how they picture Jesus Christ in our salvation? Would you guys be okay with that? It's kind of a deep study, but, but I can't wait to do that because that's going to be a lot of fun. And, and so then you go through the, the blood, you go through the water. Now you get to come into the presence of God. You see the big building there in the back? of the temple. Uh, that, that's the actual temple building. And inside there, you'd have the holy place, the saint inner sanctuary, the holy place. And then there was another room called the most holy place. And that's where the Ark of the Covenant would have been. And the presence of God in the form of a cloud rested in that place. I want to show you. Here's a drawing of it. So uh, the, 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 to your left, that's this building of the temple, right? And the inner sanctuary and the M stands for the most holy place. And you see they're divided. They were divided by a thick curtain that went all the way from the top, all the way to the bottom of the floor, to the bottom of the floor. And that thick curtain separated God's manifest presence from everyone else. This is all God's temple, but not everyone got to go into the Holy of Holies. Only one person got to go in the Holy of Holies, and that was the high priest. And only the high priest could go in there one day a year. And one day of year, he would go into behind that curtain, and he had to have a blood sacrifice. He had to just went through a blood sacrifice to go in there. He went in there with blood, and he would go behind the veil into the presence of God. And it was a fearful thing because it's so holy, and if, he, if the priest wasn't, uh, uh, they drug him out, right? Because he wore, he wore bales and he had to keep walking and jingling in there. And if he ever quit jingling, he's like, eh, not a good day for him. And pull the dude out. Because he's in the presence of God. So what happened when Jesus went to the cross for our sins? Look with me in Matthew on your outline there, Matthew 27, verse 51. And at the moment, this is the moment Jesus died upon the cross, says, it's finished into your hands, Father. I commend my spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn into, read with me, from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rock split. Now, I love that. I love what happened in that moment when Jesus died upon the cross, the veil began to rip that separated the holiness of God from the rest of the world, and, and it ripped, but it didn't rip from bottom to top. 
If there was an earthquake, and if the earthquake caused the ripping of the veil in the temple, if the ground is separating and coming apart, how would it have put tension on the veil to rip the veil? The veil should have ripped from the bottom up. But the veil didn't rip from the bottom up. The Bible descriptively says it ripped from the top to the bottom. So the question is, did the earthquake create the rip in the veil? Or did something happen that caused the rip of the veil that really caused the earthquake? And I'm here to tell you, the veil ripped from top to bottom because no man ripped it. Something supernatural happened the moment Jesus died upon the cross that caused the ripping of the veil and the subsequent earthquake. What happened? Well, writing to a bunch of Jews to put their trust in Jesus, the writer of Hebrews kind of describes what happened in that very moment when Jesus died upon the cross. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 9 on your outline. You there? Shout, I'm there, preacher. All right, got your pen ready? Here we go. Stay with me. And when Christ came, how did Christ come? Christ came as our high priest. Who was allowed into the most holy place once a year? the high priest, right? Jesus came as our high priest. He went through, watch this now, don't miss it. He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, underline this, not made by human hands. Stop. Are you telling me there's more than one temple? Yes. The earthly temple is only a copy of God's heavenly temple, So which temple did Jesus go into when he died upon the cross? Did he go into the earthly temple? No. That's why he said, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus in that moment went to the heavenly temple, not made by hands. It's not a part of this creation. Watch this. He did not enter by the means of the blood of goats and calves. Read with me, congregation. He entered the most holy place how often? Once and for all. Circle that. By his own blood. And what did he purchase when he entered into the holy place of God? Jesus obtained eternal redemption. Here's the question. Did Jesus obtain eternal redemption for himself? He never sinned. He didn't need eternal redemption. Who needs eternal redemption? Come on, class. We do. And so what did Jesus do at the moment he died upon the cross? He obtained our eternal redemption. When? When he walked into the most holy place in the heavens and with his own blood he paid once and for all for the sins of the world. Jesus has not been perpetually crucified. He is not on a cross today. He's not suffering on a cross today. He paid our debt once and for all. Mm. Does that just rock anybody else's mind to think that God himself did that for you? Jesus Christ took our sin debt, paid our sin debt, walked into the heavenly throne room. Watch this. That according uh, that he would obtain eternal redemption uh, for Christ, Christ did not enter or our eternal redemption, for Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands. That was only a copy of the true one. Read with me. He entered heaven itself. Now to appear, circle this, for us, put an exclamation point beside that. Who did he go to heaven for? 
for us. Who did he take the blood of, of himself into and anoint in the heavenlies? For us. Now who does Jesus set beside the Father and testify for us? He testifies for us. When you ask God to forgive you of your sin, Jesus is sitting right beside the Father saying, I paid for his sin debt, my blood. And the Father says, yep, there it is. You're forgiven. When you put your trust in him through faith in Jesus, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many. He'll appear the second time, not to bear the sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And I don't know if you get that or not, but what that means is the next time Jesus comes, he's not coming to go to a cross. The next time he comes, he's coming as a resurrected king, and he's going to take all of us home and deliver us from the works of sin and Satan. He is coming as our redeemer, king. Watch this. So what has Jesus done for you? He has went into the area in the presence of God that no one here was allowed to go, ever. And he paid our sin debt for us. And look at Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, here's why he has afforded for us today. Take your pen. Since we have, circle it, confidence to enter where? Where do we get to enter now? Where can I go now because of Jesus? Where can you go now because of Jesus? Because we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open to us through the curtain. That is his body and since we have a great priest over the house of God, and three things here we need to circle and get, get down deep in our hearts. If you get a hold of this, this is how it's going to transform you. We are to draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that what? Faith brings. When you get a hold of this, here's the deal. God sent his son, Jesus, and died for us, went back to heaven, and walked into the very presence of God, the place where the veil had separated, and you could never go into the very presence of God, paid our sin debt. And the moment Jesus paid our sin debt, God said, I'm now going to let everyone who believes in what you just did, I'm going to allow them to come right here into my throne room, in my presence. And God walked over and ripped the veil and I'm here to tell you that when God ripped the veil from top to bottom, that's why all creation took off and shook a little bit. If you get a hold of that, you'll have a Baptocostal shaking too. Amen. I mean, it'll go all over you from the inside out when you, let, when you realize now I have the opportunity. Now you have the opportunity at any moment, at any time, night or day, not once a year, anytime, you can go into the very presence of the God of all creation. When your faith and your trust is solely in Jesus Christ as your Redeemer. I can't get over that. That rocks my brain. The world don't understand this. 
And you and I have given the opportunity not only to practice his presence, but then to tell folks you can come to the presence of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You know what that, you know what God has afforded for us? You know what God has made us through Jesus Christ? Who is the only person allowed into that area of God's temple once a year? The priest, the high priest. What has Jesus made us who put our faith and trust in him now? If we can go into his presence anytime, night or day. God has made us priest in the kingdom of grace. I'm looking out over a room of potential priest in God's kingdom. If you are truly saved, if you've truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're a priest in God's kingdom. You have access granted into the presence of God. I'm not talking about Christianity as a religion. I'm talking about you are a priest of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is bigger than man-made religion. I'm talking about this is true faith and true religion. This is the gospel. What does a priest do? A priest has two jobs. The first job is a priest was to represent the people to God. And he would take the needs of the people into the presence of God and he would share the needs and he would make atonement for their sins and he would pray for them and he would talk to the Father on their behalf. We have an opportunity to do that every single day. It's called prayer. When you and I go before God and we pray for one another and we bring the needs of others to God, you and I are operating as priests in God's kingdom of grace and we're bringing the needs of others before God. And you can pray with freedom and confidence. When you're in the presence of God, then you are inspired by him. You study his word. You let him speak to you by his Holy Spirit. Now, the second job of a priest is you represent God to the people. And so, first of all, you take the needs of people to God. Then you take what God has said and what God has inspired, and you, pa you pass that on to the people of God. And so now you represent God to the people. When you go out and share your faith story, when you share your grace story, when you invite them, when you talk to them about Jesus, you're representing God to them. And you and I have this incredible opportunity today is we are a kingdom of priests and we can take each other to God and we can take the inspiration of God to the people. Amen? Look at um, this awesome verse, 1 Peter chapter 2 and let's read it out loud together. Let's read this incredible verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Everybody read. Ready, go. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possessions that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are a priest and a holy nation, and you are called to spread the gospel to the world and tell them how God called you out of darkness and into light, and what God did for you, God will do for them by his amazing grace. 
We are a kingdom of priests. High five two people right now and tell them, welcome to the priesthood of grace. Amen. If we get a hold of this, how will it transform the way we worship God or the way we pray or the way we serve or the way we share the gospel with people? Well, back in verse 12, he gave us the answer. If we get a hold of of what God has afforded to us by grace, allowing us into his very presence, we will understand that by grace we get to approach his presence with freedom and confidence. Think about that word freedom. Circle it. Think about that word freedom. It's the second uh, point on your outline, freedom. That word uh, in the Greek is the word parousia, and it literally means to be able to come boldly and speak freely. It's a freedom of speech. It's to be able to, it's saying to you that you get to come into the very presence of Almighty God and you have freedom of speech. You get to come before God and speak. Listen, in the ancient times, if you were invited into the room of a king, you did not speak to them until they raised their scepter. You, if you even got to go into the throne room, you stayed quiet, you stayed silent because you're in their holy presence, right? And you didn't speak until spoken to. Esther wasn't allowed to speak to her own husband who was the king of Persia until he raised his scepter to her. But here's what you have an opportunity to do because of God's amazing grace is you and I can come before the presence of God and we don't have to wait to be summoned. God doesn't have to raise a scepter. You can come into his presence as his child and you can cry out to him anytime you so choose. You can speak freely. You've been accessed freedom in God's presence. Hmm. Y'all don't want to shake? I'm about to shake up here. Think about it. Not only in Christ do you get to come before God, but you get to talk to him whenever you so choose, freely. And that word freedom in the Greek, that word that I told you, parousia, it literally means the absence of, it's to speak boldly. Well, to speak boldly, you have to have the absence of two things. Write this down. The absence of fear and the absence of shame. If you're in the presence of God, and I don't know if you ever think about it. Does anybody here ever think about the day you're going to stand before God someday? You ever think about that? Has that ever crossed your mind? Because everybody's going to, right? No matter how good you are, <laughs> no matter how long you've been a Christian, uh, would anybody agree with me? There's this, this little thing in the back of your brain that says, I'm going to be a little bit ashamed when I get in there. Right? I mean, because we think about all the things we have to be ashamed of. Say, may say amen. Look at your neighbor and just wink at them. Got you. Got you. Right? Because we all have them. Can I tell you what grace has afforded to you? When Jesus Christ cleansed you of all your sin, Jesus Christ took away the fear, and Jesus Christ also takes away the shame. You and I know why we should be ashamed, but you know what the amazing grace of God does when you come into his presence? He removes the shame. And because of God's amazing grace, ladies and gentlemen, you can approach God and you don't have to be afraid and you don't have to be ashamed if you allow Jesus Christ to forgive your sin. Amen? That blows my mind as well. I ain't got much mind left as many times I've told you it's gone, amen? 
Some of you said, I knew that when you first started. Watch this. And not only do you get to have freedom, you get to have confidence when you come into his presence. You and I get to approach God today with complete confidence. No fear and no shame. Confidence. And there's a verse here, and we're going to finish with this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It's our big takeaway today, and I, I want you to let this sink in because this is what Jesus has afforded for us because of his grace. This is what God has opened up for us, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will unveil this for all of us to understand. I'm telling you that when we come to worship, when we come together to sing, when we come together to share the gospel, here's what the grace of God has afforded for us, that now, read the verse with me and fill in the blanks. Ready? We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Thank you for joining us today for the Pursuit Podcast. For more content, to read our blog, watch past sermons, or find other great resources, check us out at chrisvaught.net, and then check us out on social media. Then tune in again next week, and we will open our Bibles and together pursue after the heart of God. Thank you again for joining us at the Pursuit.